The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. I don't know what kind of a writer I am anymore, and I don't know what it looks like when I'm in flow. <laughs> I used to know. I used to have some very good answers uh, for this, and I had a whole section on my website about um, how I write and about how time boundaried I am, and you know how I use the Pomodoro technique, and you know I have a tidy desk, and I write between certain hours. I had children, and all of that went out of the window, and it just became a bun fight. You know, could I find five minutes to sit down and write? You know, can I prop myself up in bed when my eyes are closing because I'm so tired and try and write for half an hour? And welcome back to The Writer Files. This is your grateful host, Kelton Reed, wishing you pages, patience, and perseverance per usual. New York Times bestselling author Rosie Walsh talked to me about finding her authentic voice, transitioning from rom-com to emotional thriller, and her latest, The Love of My Life. Rosie's lived and traveled all over the world, working as a documentary producer and writer, among other things. Her American debut, Ghosted, was a New York Times bestseller and has sold more than one million copies worldwide. Her second novel is The Love of My Life. Described as a stay-up-all-night page-turner, it's a love story wrapped in a mystery that taps into our darkest fears about motherhood, family, and trust. Ashley Audrain, New York Times bestselling author of The Push, said of the book, Walsh's hugely compelling The Love of My Life instantly pulls you deep into the interior of a marriage. Part thriller, part mystery, part heart-wrenching love story. This is a treasure. In this file, Rosie and I discussed writing upmarket fiction under a pseudonym. Why she starts all of her books with plot. How to write a book that breathes what it's like to hang out at death cafes, the bum fight that is the writer's life, and a lot more. Stay calm and write on. And don't forget, you can always support this show by heading to writerfiles.fm, where you can also sign up for email updates, get links to merch, and other resources for writers. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click follow to automatically see new interviews in your podcatcher as soon as they're published and drop us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you tune in to help other writers find us. All right, we are back on The Writer Files, and I am honored today to be joined by uh, New York Times bestselling author, Rosie Walsh. How are you doing today on this, uh, this wonderful, uh, almost spring day? 
<laughs> well, here in the UK, it's it's now dark. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't feel quite so springy. It's sort of returned to winter. I thank you. I am um, well and full of joy. I got a call last night to say that uh, the love of my life had uh, had charted on the New York Times bestseller list. So I'm absolutely ecstatic. You've got me on a very good day. Fantastic. And congratulations. Thank you. And when you say the love of my life, you're not talking about um, your significant other. <laughs> no, I'm <laughs> well, I mean, I'm sure he could chart on the New York Times bestseller <laughs> list, but he's going to have to write a pretty good book first. <laughs> he, he was there when I got the news. He gave me a high five and then a hug. Amazing. And he sat, we both kind of sat down on the floor because we were just so shocked and excited and just blown away, really. That's pretty cool. Well, it's amazing news. It is um, your second novel. Of course, Ghosted um, was your American debut. It had a different title in the UK, uh, also New York Times bestseller. So yeah, that must be a huge thrill. And now you're doing promotion for the new book. Um, I can't wait to talk all about it. Um, but yeah, as we do with so many um, renowned authors, I'd love to dig into your kind of your superhero origins and kick us back to the days of, you know, prior to um, the writing life when you were doing, you know, some other jobs, when you were traveling and, and doing documentary work. Hmm. I've never been asked about my life before being a writer before. How, what a great <laughs> question. Um, yeah, so I, I studied literature and theatre at university and had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do or be. Um, I think I vaguely at one point had a vague no notion of being an actress, but I mean, th th there was a problem with that, which was that I had no talent. Um, so I came out of university and, you know, like most people, I got a job in a bar, <laughs> Um, working in a bar in the in the night and waitressing in the day. And um, I just didn't know what to do. And so I fell into theatre for a few years because I did love theatre. But, you know, I was working in production and it, it just, you know, it, it was basically an office job with the odd kind of fun jolly to the theatre. Um, <laughs> and, and I was, you know, I wasn't really satisfied. So I eventually um, moved over to television and... I worked on some pretty sketchy shows at the beginning and then moved on to some more meaty stuff. You know, by, by the time I left telly, I was working on arts documentaries and science and human interest documentaries, observational stuff. And, you know, I enjoyed it sometimes, but I didn't have any um, sort of deep seated internal feeling that I was doing what I was meant to be doing. And by that age, you know, I was approaching 30. I knew p plenty of people who had found their thing and, you know, who really felt it viscerally. And at this point, I began to despair. I was like, good Lord, I'm, you know, I'm nearly 30. You know, I've done the 20s of trying to figure out what I'm doing and I'm no closer than I, you know, than I was. Hmm. Um, and around that time, I, um, I bumped into an old friend from school who I hadn't seen in years and years. And um, turned out that she was the editor of, a website for a for a fashion magazine and we we sort of became friends again and I I sent her an email one day about this absolutely horrendous date I'd been on the night before and she replied <laughs> saying that email made me laugh so much I'm wondering if you could write us a dating blog <laughs> so that's that's how it all started and I ended up writing four four books under a pseudonym sort of you know in that style that I used to blog um you know sort of quite funny uh, you know, love stories, quite commercial, romantic, but, you know, I guess upmarket for thinking women. 
And um, I did that for many years and thought that that would, you know, that would be it until um, I had the idea for Ghosted. And that book just took on a, a, a life of its own. And that's when I started writing under my own name. Hmm. And, um, yeah, taking a different direction. Yeah, yeah. And now here we are at The Love of My Life, your second novel. And uh, yeah, it's a little bit different, but I want to talk about the process that went into it. Of course, you know, it's been described as kind of a slow burning, twisty um, page turner, but, but you're known as kind of a genre defying writer, right? So talk a little bit about how you um, describe the book or, or, you know, how, you know, it's not necessarily one or the other. It's kind of straddles the line. Talk a little bit about how you came to the, the premise. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it sort of it happened accidentally that I sort of found myself in this, I guess, this sort of at this confluence of love story and psychological thriller. So somebody hmm. described it the other day as an emotional thriller, and I think that's the best description I've heard so far. In fact, so much so that I think this should become a whole new genre, which I'm very happy to spearhead. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it sort of happened by accident. As I said, I was writing quite commercial, sort of upmarket romantic comedy um, under a pseudonym. And when I came up with the idea for Ghosted, which is about a couple who sort of meet and have a really profound and beautiful uh, week together, and then the man completely disappears. Um, that was originally, you know, going to be written under my pseudonym. So it would have been, you know, more romantic. It would have been funnier. And then as soon as I started writing it, I I guess I just, I just started writing in a way that was far more authentic to me. Hmm. Um, the writing was more literary. It's by no means a literary novel, but it was, you know, it was a lot more literary than, you know, what I'd been doing before. And, um, you know, a lot of stuff came into it, like the natural world, which sort of was almost like a third character in that book, as as the natural world is a third character in, in the love of my life. Um, yeah. And all of these things sort of came together. So it ended up being, um, it ended up being just the book that it was always meant to be. But that book was, you know, an unusual combination of things. And when it was finished, you know, I'd been in the industry long enough to feel nervous about how my new publishers would publish it. You know, how do you approach the jacket for a book like that? Because you're trying to appeal to quite a broad range of readers who like quite different things and, Mm -hmm. you know, get the jacket wrong. Nobody's going to buy it. It doesn't matter how good it is. Um, but you know, my publishers in, in almost every country, I think just did an absolutely brilliant job of, of spanning those genres and, and, you know, they thank, thank gosh, so many thanks to them. They, you know, established me as somebody who, who can and does do this, this sort of unusual combination of things. But for me, it's, it's just a really rich seam to be mining. There's so much in that confluence of, 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 you know, of narratives and styles, um, Hmm. I I can't imagine writing any other sort of book at the moment. I don't feel called to try something else. You know, a lot of my writer friends are kind of trying thrillers and all sorts of things. But I'm I'm really happy doing what I'm doing, and and I welcome others into this. You know, this this slightly unusual area of the market as well. You know, I'm not trying mm. to sort of keep the whole thing for myself. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Um, or you're you're breaking ground as a pioneer in a, in a way with this emotional thriller calling and it's interesting that you note that it, that the uh natural world kind of plays a a third character hey i just want to take a quick break for my podcast recommendation for this week 
Have you run out of interesting things to say to friends when you actually get to see them? Then take a listen to the Book Dreams podcast. Each week, co-hosts Julie Sternberg and Eve Yohalem use books to explore fascinating questions like, what happened when a Harvard professor staked her reputation on an alleged gospel of Jesus's wife that turned out to be fake? How did debut author Tom Lynn save the American Western by blowing it to bits? Are pigeons rats with wings or wonder birds? And what's the who, when, where, how, and especially why of books bound in human skin? Recent and upcoming Book Dreams highlights include conversations with Disha Filia, award-winning author of The Secret Lives of Church Ladies, Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Catherine Schultz, and neuroscientist and dreams researcher Siddhartha Ribeiro. You can subscribe and listen to Book Dreams wherever you get your podcasts. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow, mercy is the bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books, and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. Yeah, talk a little bit about the research that went into this. We won't do any spoilers, of course, um, mm -hmm. but um, you know, I, I understand that there's a rather unique research process that goes into um, writing multiple POVs, especially from you know very distinctive uh, distinctive character arcs and character um, you know their their vocations. Yeah, so. I mean, you know, I start I start all of my books with plot. I've never started with characters. So when I start out, my characters are quite two-dimensional, as I guess is the case for probably most authors. I don't know. Um, but what is important um, for me is the layering. And character is a process of um, long-form layering. And for me, to make that possible, um, I need to do a lot of immersive research. So, 
you know, it's not enough to just go and have a couple of days in London. If my character lives in London, I will find, you know, I, <laughs> for example, one of the, you know, one of the things about Emma, one of the two main characters is that she's a hoarder. And so I found somebody who knew a, a person who, um, who lived in a sort of hoardery kind of a house. <laughs> and, um, and I went and stayed there and it was absolute chaos. <laughs> it was crazy. Oh but I stayed there for a while and, you know, and I stayed in the part of London that Emma and Leo lived in for a while. I spent days, weeks, months researching obituaries and marine biology, which represent Leo's and Emma's careers respectively. You know, I spent time in laboratories, on news floors. I went to death cafes, death conferences. You know, I interviewed hmm. so many people. I shadowed people in their work. Um, I went beach combing, I did rock pooling, you know, I did field trips. I did, I did so many things. And the aim for that was, you know, partly to make the, the novel factually accurate and authentic, but mostly to layer in those characters and to, to add a sort of a level of detail and specificity that, um, that would hopefully make the story a lot more memorable and, um, would sort of lessen the need for it to be like a you know, ridiculously fast moving, you know, every sentence is a revelation kind of a book. You know, I still wanted it to be a book that breathes. And that's where I think a lot of that detail goes. I like that. A book that breathes. Can you define, can you just define for us what a death cafe is? I'm actually not familiar with the, with the uh, term. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> when I started this book, um, Emma was going to die. Um, it was always the way, you know, she was dying and Leah was going to find out that, you know, his dying wife had been lying to him about who she was. Um, within, I'd say about three months of writing it, I sent a draft to my agent and she just said, nope, <laughs> that's too dark. <laughs> she said, nobody wants to stick with a book where this character that they will immediately fall in love with is, you know, on the way out. Um, so I changed that, but in that time and in the lead up to the right, you know, to me starting my writing, I'd done loads of research into death, but also into end of life, which is, you know, actually a different thing. And, um, I went to quite a few death cafes, um, which is, uh, they're, they're not, they're not sort of grieving support groups or bereavement support groups. They are discussion groups, um, where people just meet to discuss death because it's just not something that you can bring up at your average dinner table. Mm -hmm. um so they discuss you know things like there's a line in the book where leo talks about finding emma researching wicker coffins on amazon and you know that's something that i heard somebody talking about in a death cafe and the level of um, preparedness that we all have for our own deaths i was i was fascinated by so i ended up going to loads of death cafes and unfortunately that storyline didn't survive but i really don't think that any of those um experiences were wasted experiences were wasted because they gave me all the lovely details like, you know, the wicker coffin, you know, that's 500 quid on Amazon and, and, and so on. And I, I don't think there's any such thing as wasted research in a writer's life. It all goes, you know, to this sort of rich tapestry that we try and create. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I thought uh, your peer, Ashley Audrain, uh, had a very nice blurb for your book as well. I believe you, you were speaking with Ashley uh, recently, weren't you? I was. She was amazing. I just want to marry her. She, <laughs> she was. She was incredible. She just seemed so calm and and poised, and she'd done so much research and prepared so beautifully for our interview. I just sort of came in like a hurricane, <laughs> gave sort of mad disjointed answers, laughed a lot, and then zoomed out again. 
She was so poised. <laughs> I think she's extraordinary. And her book, wow, amazing. The push. Mm. Um, Ashley had some very nice words. She described the love of my life as instantly pulls you deep into the interior of a marriage, part thriller, part mystery, part heart-wrenching love story, a, a treasure. And uh, yeah, you got, you've got you got one coming up with number one best, uh, New York Times bestselling author, Laura Dave, is that correct? And she also blurbed. I mean, the, the list of blurbs here is pretty impressive. Uh, they go on and on for pages. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. I can't tell you every time I got an email from my publishers, you know, sort of sending me a new blurb, I just, I ran out of ways of expressing my shock and gratitude. Because, <laughs> you know, the thing is, by the time the, the books, are, the review copies are sent out for blurbs, um, as a writer, you're on the floor with exhaustion. You're totally overexposed to your book. You're just delighted to have it off your desk. You don't want to see it again. And you're still very much in that space of this book is not good enough. It's, you know, it's not, it's not enough. It's not right. It's not going to be okay. And to within, you know, within that particular season to be getting this extraordinary feedback from some of the most successful writers, you know, around at the moment, it, it it's, it's a total disconnect. It's sort of, you, I just found that I was reading emails again and again. What? Hmm. what? No. <laughs> well, the, we, the work speaks for itself. Of course, I will link to the book. I will link to your uh, home base, uh, rosiewalsh.com for all the news you're on. Um, of course, Twitter, Instagram, lots of good stuff and Facebook, but, uh, talk a little bit about the, the writing process itself, kind of when you're at your most prolific, when you're really, um, kind of hitting a flow state, uh, post research, what does, um, what, what does your best kind of writing day look or feel like are you an early morning writer like so many are you a late night writer are you a coffee shop writer um and how kind of how's the pandemic affected any of these processes that's such an interesting question largely because the answer is i don't know what kind of a writer i am anymore and i don't know what it looks like when i'm in flow <laughs> i used to know i used to have some very good answers uh, for this and i had a whole section on my website about um how i write and about how time boundaried I am and, you know, how I use the Pomodoro technique and, you know, I have a tidy desk and I write between certain hours. I had children and all of that went out of the window and it just became a bun fight. You know, could I find five minutes to sit down and write? You know, can I prop myself up in bed when my eyes are closing because I'm so tired and try and write for half an hour? And when I started the love of my life, my son was five months old. And when I finished it, um, he was um, not far off four years old. And hmm. um, and in that time, I'd uh, had another baby too. And um, it's been chaos. You know, I also had a brush with serious illness. We've had the pandemic. And I also, of course, had, you know, the very unexpected success of Ghosted, which saw me flying around the world and doing endless publicity. And, and of course, suffering quite a lot of second book anxiety too. So the process of writing this book has been wild and I have not found my pace. I have not got into a routine. There was not one single day where I felt, oh, that was a really good, calm writing day. Um, every single day that I've spent writing this book has been tricky. And all I know is about my plans for the next book is that I cannot have another writing experience like that. I just cannot. I have not got it in me. It's going to have to be a lot calmer, you know, I'm, I'm I'm actually thinking of hiring a coach, not not a creative writing coach. I think I know how to tell a story, but 
just a sort of basic, you know, business type coach, you know, who will help keep me motivated and get my bum on my seat and, you know, just help me find ways of, of creating and protecting time because I spent four years doing that with the love of my life and never, <laughs> never really pulled it off. So I'm, I'm hoping hmm. for a far calmer, more, more orderly experience this time around. Interesting. I like how you, how you describe it as a bum fight. And, you know, that, do you think that's equal parts kids and pandemic, the combination, um, as you put it, or something unrelated? Um, no, I think it's mostly kids. Um, the pandemic put an intolerable struggle on me and my partner because we were both trying to work and we had no childcare. Yeah. Um, in the UK, children's nurseries and kindergartens mostly stayed open, but ours didn't. And, and I had a baby. You know, I had a baby in the first lockdown. So we we had a really difficult time without meaning to sound self-putting. It was really rough on us. And uh, the impact it had on my writing, which was already, as I've you know explained, in a pretty chaotic state, was, was disastrous. <laughs> Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Um, well, as as the love of uh, my life delves into grief, betrayal, deception, and has been described as exploring the complexity of secrets in marriage, I find it interesting because I've I've spoken with so many authors about this, but but specifically just kind of like the the idea that there's no such thing as a secret anymore, mm. um, and maybe you know literature is the last great kind of refuge of the idea of, you know, being able to keep a secret in this internet age. Talk a little bit about, um, you know, I don't know if it's secrets or, you know, if it's, uh, secrets in marriage or if it's just, just the deception piece. Um, it's kind of an interesting idea, but this, this book, uh, kind of goes into that quite a bit. Yeah. Well, I think, um, the whole notion of secrets within a marriage is, is what kind of defines what I seem to be doing as a writer, um, with this sort of, <laughs> this term that my friend coined the the emotional thriller because you know a thriller a thriller is generally you know woman wakes up finds husband murdered on the bathroom floor or something <laughs> and what i'm doing here is woman wakes up and finds out her husband has told a small lie um and of course that's going to lead to something much bigger something catastrophic but really it's the process from that point that i'm interested in what would we do you know what I I wanted to write a book that was full of, you know, just really juicy moral dilemmas. What, you know, what would you do if you um, stumbled upon a lie like that within your marriage? Something that's significant, not terrible, you know, not something as, as, as overt as oh, they've had an affair, but something that makes no sense, you know, and in Leo's case, when the first clue that he uncovers about Emma is that, is that she didn't go to the university that she said she did. She graduated from somewhere else and he's got a He's he he's standing there with a letter in his hand from the university that he thinks she went to, which says, you know, 
we've discharged you, you know, your degree is being terminated. Hmm. Um, and then in his, in his other hand, he's got a picture of her graduating from somewhere else. So <laughs> that in itself is not um, a marriage destroying lie. But, you know, what he's trying to figure out is why she's lied and where she did go to university. Where is she in that picture where she's graduating from somewhere? You know, what happened? Um, and that for me is fascinating because I really, even, even though I spent four years with this book, I do not know what I would do if I stumbled completely by accident upon something that made no sense in my partner's stuff. Would I yeah. go into his phone? Would I go into his emails? I'd like to think I wouldn't, but you know, who knows? And that's, you know, that, that's what, it, what is interesting to me. Um, how we behave when we're leading really normal lives where no one's being murdered and no one's a film star and, you know, no one's a sports hero or anything. We're just two normal people in a house, one of them finding out that the other one is deceiving them. Where do you go from there? Yeah, yeah. And in a Kirkus Star review, um, which mentions Walsh masterfully shows both protagonists' points of view while maintaining an intoxicating air of mystery. And of course, the unravelings from there. So congratulations on the book. Um, of course, as I mentioned, we'll link to all the places, the love of my life. And um, yeah, just before we wrap up here with your kind of advice to your fellow scribes, um, <laughs> I'll ask you a fun one. If, if you could have dinner with any author from any era to your favorite uh, restaurant in the world, who would you take and where would you take them? All expenses paid, of course. Oh my gosh. Wow. I mean, to be honest, I just go to my local cafe with one of my writer friends. <laughs> I'm a mom. I never get to go anywhere or do anything anymore. <laughs> I, yeah, I'd be happy with some some chi- a plate of chips at the local fry up. However, uh, with a gun to my head, where would I go and who would I go with? I definitely fly to New York because that for me, that's just my happy, happy place. I've never been to New York in anything other than the most ebullient spirits i absolutely adore that city and um it would have to be what wherever the cool place is to eat there right now doesn't need to be cool actually just as long as it does really delicious inventive food and um who would my guest be i mean i think at the moment my guest would be ashley Audrain because when we did our event the other night i just fell completely in love with her as i said um so i think i'd invite her and just have a very 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 long writerly natter about this very strange business and the even stranger business of trying to do it with very small children. <laughs> I love it. Um, well, Ashley, hopefully we'll get you on the show to talk about this uh, proposition. <laughs> um, both the marriage and the uh, dinner <laughs> in New York. Um, no, basically just proposed her. <laughs> the proposal. Yeah. And the proposition. Um, well, uh, it has been a pleasure chatting with you. Before we go, um, is there any anywhere else you you want to connect with uh, listeners of this show or readers out out there uh, in the world? Yeah, I'm I'm quite hermit like just because I'm always tied up with my children. So I'm just on the obvious social media channels. I'm on Instagram and Twitter as the Rosie Walsh, and I'm on Facebook as Rosie Walsh Author. I do have a website, but I found myself unable to respond to all of the emails that I was getting. So I'm free rather anti-socially. I um I removed the contact me function from that page. <laughs> but I'm always available to chat online and I love hearing from readers. Understandable. Um, yeah, and maybe just your final pearl of wisdom 
to fellow scribes on how to keep going? Oh my gosh. I don't think there's anything more painful than being stuck in a narrative, in, in a manuscript that you just can't find your way out of. I've been there so many times with this book. I very, very nearly ditched it. I obsessively read blogs about writers who had just walked away from their manuscript. And I'm so incredibly glad and grateful that I that I that I carried on. It was partly because my agent was cracking the whip and partly because I didn't know what else to do. I couldn't bear the thought of starting something else. And so I turned up day in, day out. Sometimes I couldn't face it at all, so I'd be in bed with my laptop. But I just kept plugging away. And I think the one thing that kept me sane and kept me going was my writing partner. If you're not a member of a writer's group and if you don't have somebody who you can feedback to or, you know, exchange feedback with, that is my number one tip. Trying to do it on your own when you're stuck in a, in a narrative that isn't working is impossible. So um, share it around. <laughs> don't be don't, scared. Go it don't alone. be embarrassed. Just don't try and do it on your own. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time. I know you got to go, um, but we do appreciate your wisdom and uh, come back and wrap with us again in the future. I would love that. You've got the best voice in the world. I would love to talk to you again. <laughs> I will take that compliment. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us for this file. And if you're a fan of the show, simply head over to writerfiles.fm for more. That's writerfiles.fm. And scene. All right, get out of here. <laughs> okay, how do I get out of here?